Good morning. Um, those were scenes from the massive forest fire last fall in California. Can you imagine being in that? I mean, it's, it's terrifying. We didn't hear the audio very well, but, but the lady's driving and she's saying, she's saying, Lord, please, please help me. Please help me get through this. And the whole time there's fire and there's embers flying through and you're driving a car full of gasoline. It just, it would be terrifying. It was the most deadly, it was the most destructive fire on record. Like 1.7 million acres burned. Three and a half billion dollars in damage. Over a hundred lives lost. Unbelievable destruction. And yet it was called the campfire, wildfire, because they think that's how it started. And you know, somebody was out having a good time, and they never thought that this one little match, this one little light of a leaf or a piece of paper would end up destroying so much property and taking a hundred lives. And yet, Pastor James, we've been studying in this series in the book of James, tells us that This is kind of like the tongue. There's great power in small things and that the tongue can set a blaze that is unbelievably destructive if we allow it to be. So we're continuing our series called Counterfeit Faith and James tells us there's great power in small things. He says there's there's power in uh, the bridle and a horse, there's power in the rudder and a ship, there's power in a spark and a wildfire. There's power in the tongue, there's power in our words, and the reality is our words matter, don't they? In fact, if there's one thing I want you to think about when you leave here today are those two words, words matter. Can we say those together? Words matter. One more time. Words matter. They matter. And we need to be careful with how we use words, that we use them for God's glory and for life and not the death that they can bring. So would you turn with me in James this morning? We're gonna be in chapter three, verses one through 12. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in his likeness, in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh water 
and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Would you pray a prayer with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would use, by your Holy Spirit, you would use this word to change us. That we'd be attentive to what your servant is saying, what James is saying, God. It's not our desire to, to, to change what he's already said, but to represent it to us as a family, Lord. That you help us to be uh, aware that words matter in the power of the tongue. Spirit of the living God, would you use this message and these words and your word for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us for the last several weeks, you know that this is sort of a topic that's important to James. He's talked about it already uh, in chapter one. He's going to continue to talk about it. Evidently, this is kind of a pet project for him. He wants to make sure that his, his church understands the power of the tongue and that we've got to be so careful with what we say. Remember what he said in, in chapter one, James 1, 19. He said, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. Remember that? He was saying, be quick to hear. Make sure that, that, that you, you listen first, that you have time to let your heart filter the things that's, that are going on inside you. Be careful before you speak. Be prayerful before you speak. Be thoughtful before you speak. Take, some, take a moment. Quick to hear, slow to speak. And then drop down to verse 26. He says, if anybody thinks he is religious, right, and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That's a pretty big statement, isn't it? All the things you think you're doing for God, all the things you think you're doing because you have a faith, if your mouth doesn't match up to the life that you live in faith, it's all worthless. It means nothing. That duality won't, won't work, James is saying, in an authentic faith. That's not who we're supposed to be. This, this topic is clearly important to James. He's wanting his church to realize that an authentic faith is one where we say one thing and we also live it. Now, I don't know about you, but I've definitely done this. I've said one thing and lived another. But James is saying, no, 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 no. That's not who we're going to be. If we're going to be followers of Christ, we need to say the right thing and follow it up. Give proof to what we've said by how we live. James has said already a, a lot of things about uh, uh, how we should live and the type of believers that we should be, what an authentic believer looks like. Remember in verse 1, he said, we're supposed to be different. Chapter 1, he said, when we go through suffering and difficulty and trial, I want you to be different. I want you to actually look at those things as joy because we know that God has, has got a greater purpose for the suffering. He's got a greater purpose through the trial. He's got a greater purpose through the difficulty you're walking through. God's going to use it for his glory and for your good, Romans 8 says, right? And so we can trust that. we got to be a people of joy even in the middle of suffering. And then he says, hey, by the way, when you hear the word of God, don't just let it go in one ear and out the other. Let your life be active. Do what it says. It just doesn't do anything for you just to hear the word of God and then sit on it. No, we've got to hear the word of God and have a life of activity. A life of authentic faith is not one that just hears. It's one that hears and does. It hears. It obeys. It acts. It moves. Then we, we get into the conversation that 
if we have a real authentic faith, that not only is that faith going to move us from just hearing, it's going to move us to the least of these. It's going to move us to people that are completely different than us. He gives a real specific call to the widow and to the orphan and says, you take care of them. And when you do that, that's pure religion. And then he says, and as you're doing that, listen, realize that you're no different than them. We're all the same. We're all created in the image of God. And if you treat somebody different than you, than you would treat yourself, he says that's sinfulness. If you treat somebody with favoritism or prejudice, it's sinfulness. Make, make it really clear here, James, right? It's not just that I think, I think I don't like this person. I'm going to treat this person. It's not that big of a deal. No, no, no. He says, be clear, that is sin. And it has no place in the life of an authentic believer. And then last week, Pastor Elvis and Pastor Jerry did such a great job together, tag teaming it. I loved it. It was beautiful, wasn't it? And they, they talked to us about the fact that our faith as believers ought to be alive. I've told you before, I'm, I pretend to be a gardener. And if you were to go to my house today and look in my garden, you would see uh, a barren wasteland. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, it's just bad news. If, if you were to go, if I were to say, hey, will you go get me a tomato? You'd be like, um, what? I mean, it's just, it's pitiful looking. It's pathetic. You'd come back and say, no, I don't think you understand. Everything's dead. There, there is nothing there. It's all brown and, and it's just junk. It's just weeds. You really need to clean it up. See, the thing is, is when something's alive, it grows. And you can tell. You'd be able to walk out to the garden and go, man, look at all the produce. Look at all the greenery. Look at what, what's happening here. It's going to be a good thing. And in the same way, somebody ought to look into your life and go, no, I don't see any signs of life. That, that, that wouldn't be good, would it? No, they need to look in your life and go, oh, I see some produce. I see some things happening here. I see some life. And here's the truth. The, the product of our, our speech and the product of our lives, they define who we are and what's in our hearts. I want to say that again. The product of what comes out of our mouths and what comes out of our lives define who we are and what's in our hearts. And today, James is going to help us with that. I love the way he kind of, through these messages, he's kind of asked us to hold up our life and, or our life and, and, and this model that he's giving us. And he's trying to help us to see, does your life match up to the life of an authentic believer? Have you ever taken a, a larger bill into a gas station, like a $20 bill or a $100 bill? And I don't have a lot of those, but uh, uh, occasionally I'll take a, a, a bill into a gas station and you, they get it, you know, and what's the first thing they do? You know, they go like this. That's because the government started putting watermarks and these plastic little strips in larger bills and things. They want to see that that's in there. Why? Because they want to know that that's a real bill. They want to know that there's something, this is worth something. That when I turn this in, I'm going to get paid for this thing. That there's something that stands behind just this piece of paper. James is saying, if you're an authentic believer in Jesus, your life ought to have something behind it. Not just your words, your actions, your joy, the way you treat people, the way you love one another. That's what it ought to have. It ought to have a genuine, authentic ring of reality in Jesus together. It ought to match up. 
Well, James has been giving us all these tests uh, to kind of determine who we are and what's, what's in our hearts. And he's going to give us another one this morning. Did you know that we, we speak or talk one-fifth of our lives away? Did you know that? I didn't know that. 20% of our whole life will be speaking, either talking to somebody else, I, don't know, I guess singing in the shower, talking out loud, conversations on the phone. 20% of your whole life will be spent speaking one of the, the writers that I'm learning from in this study in James is a theologian by the name of J.A. Motyer. From, he has this book called The Message of James. He says, we cannot think without formulating thoughts and words. We cannot plan without describing to ourselves step by step what we intend to do. We cannot imagine without painting a word picture before our inward eyes. We cannot write a letter or a book without talking it through in our minds onto the paper. We cannot resent without fueling the fires of resentment in words addressed to ourselves. We cannot feel sorry for ourselves without listening to the self-pitying voice which tells us how hard done by we are. We talk all the time. And that's why it's so important about the things that we're saying. Whether it be to somebody else or even to ourselves, we have to be careful with the words and the sentences and, and the intent that we mean behind them. First thought from today's message is that James is saying to us, teachers, beware, right? Verse 1, he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. <clears throat> right? <laughs> Listen, if you teach the word of God and you just got it all together and you don't, it doesn't affect you, I hadn't figured that out yet. I hadn't figured that out yet. We come, <laughs> I come before you, and I believe our elders do the same when they come and teach, the different teachers that come. We come literally and figuratively trembling before you with the word of God. And I, I, it frightens me every time I have an opportunity to speak because I don't want to mess this up. It's too important. This is too important to mess up with my opinion or something I've heard. That we would handle something so holy and so beautiful with these human hands and this faulty body and voice. It scares me. It frightens me. And so from day one, I've just brought it before Jesus. I've just wept before him and I've prayed, God, I just give this to you. I don't want to mess it up. Why? Because we are held to a greater account, those of us who teach. I, I tell different young men who, who are interested in church planning or pastoring or, or whatever the case may be, I try to tell them all the time that um, teaching should be more of a burden that you surrender to than a dream you chase. It should be more of a burden that you, you surrender over to instead of a dream that you chase. I don't know how many people in ministry told me, hey, if you can do anything else with your life. I mean, literally, I've heard, I don't know how many times I heard this from pastors. Hey, if you can do anything else with your life, if you can be a doctor, a lawyer, or architect, or sell cars, or do something, if you can do anything else, go do that. And as an 18-year-old, I'm kind of going, huh? No, I think this is what God's calling. They, they were trying to warn me. It was about this. We should take this seriously. When we open the word of God, we will be held to a higher account and judged more strictly. 
I think this is true of Paul in, in Acts 20. And I love this little spot and picture in Acts. This is when Paul is, is on his way to Jerusalem and he, he stops in Miletus and he wants to speak to the elders at Ephesus. He pastored there for three years and he had very great relationships with those men. And so he, he sends out word that he wants to meet with the, the elders from Ephesus. And they come to him and they meet. And Paul says this in Acts 20 verse 26. It says, therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. What Paul is saying is, I've done my best. I've been brave. I've spoken the whole counsel of God, the whole word of God. I haven't left anything out. And this is the end of my journey, basically, he's saying. And I'm passing this on. I've held the weight of this burden to share the gospel of Jesus. And now I hand it over to you. I hand it over to others. There is a great weight. There is a great account for teachers of the word. And I believe there were people that James was speaking directly to. And even today, some people can think, you know, I, that guy that gets to speak up there, I bet he, he, he's got a little clout or he's got a little power. Maybe there's, there's, there's something in there that maybe I, that's what makes me want to teach. Yeah. It's not true. And if somebody wields any type of opportunity they have to teach the word of God and makes it about them, God forbid. We are held to a higher account. It's not about us. And just as Paul has spoken to the elders of Ephesus, it's my heart to give you the whole counsel of the word of God. And I, I just ask that you pray for me. I mean it. I love our elders. I love our staff. And, and we, we approach this very cautiously. Every Monday morning, I open my hands to our staff and I say, men, critique me. Is there anything I said that I shouldn't have said? Anything I could have said better? Elders love me well enough to, to challenge me and correct me. That is who we want to be, a people that's continuing to learn and grow. We are a shared leadership church, if you don't know that. That means that I, I don't have any more power than one of our elders. We have five elders, and those five men run this church. They lead this church. We submit one to another. And there is a great beauty in that submission and a great account accountability as well that I'm so very thankful for. I love the fact, too, that right after he says this, James says, hey, nobody's perfect. Look what he says in the message. I like the way the message puts it. James 3, 2 says, none of us is perfectly qualified. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. Amen. If you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person in perfect control of, of his life. I love that James says, listen, we all struggle here, right? This is something we all fall short in. We all make mistakes. We, we all struggle with this. And, and I'm, you already know this, but I'll just tell you, I'm the farthest thing from perfect. And this week, even as I've been studying about our words and our speech, I've had this haunting voice in my head of me remembering different phrases, different things I've spoken, whether it be to my wife or to my children or to my friends or in my history. You know what I'm talking about? There's certain things that, that, that you remember that come back to your memory and they just ring in my brain and I think, oh gosh, I wish I could take those things back. I wish I didn't say that was so arrogant. I was so wrong. I was so hurtful. Things that I did intentionally 
to wound. God has just convicted me of so many of those things and they keep echoing in my brain. James goes on to help emphasize the great power in small things like the tongue. James 3.3 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. There is unbelievable power in the tongue. Unbelievable power in the tongue. I mean, we, we, we underestimate it all the time, but there is incredible power in the things that we say. If you ever played sports, I played uh, sports my whole life. I played, you know, basketball and football and different things, and I, I don't know how many half times I heard pep rallies from, from the coach, you know, to try and get the, it was either really encouraging or you have no idea how much you're going to be running next week unless we win this game. It's still motivational, I'm saying, you know. But for whatever reason, you, 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 you kind of sit up a little stronger and you go, yeah. Right, coach? You sit up, you, know, you sit up a little stronger and you go, wait, no, I think we can do this. There's something in the power of that pep talk. There's something in the power of rallying people together that well, we can do this. Do you remember after 9-11 where George Bush stood at the base uh, of the Twin Towers? Or what was the Twin Towers? And he grabbed the fire chief's hat. It's a beautiful moment that was totally spontaneous. He grabs the fire chief's hat and he grabs a bullhorn and he says, the terrorists will hear us. They will hear us. There was this unifying moment and we as a country set up, didn't we? We as a country almost figuratively, we had our arms around each other like we're going to make it. We will not be shaken we will not be defeated. We'll stand together. Did you feel that? You remember that? There was a collective beauty of the power of his words. It brought us together. There's also power in our words when we say destructive things, like around the Christmas dinner. You ever have any words spoken around family dinners? Little passive-aggressive cuts and jabs, you know? Well, you know, it takes us four or five hours to get down here, but I'm glad we come down here every year and y'all can never come to our house. It's like what they're saying is, why don't y'all come to our house? I hate coming down here every year. But they said it differently, right? Oh, I see we're having ham again this year. Ham, you know I don't like ham, but I see we're getting it again this year. All right. The smile on their face, poison in their tongue. Passive-aggressive little jabs. There's power in the tongue. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life Death and life are in the power of the tongue. It doesn't say feelings can be hurt, does it? It says death and life. This is very serious. It's a matter of death and life, and it's in the power of the tongue. An author, Gary Chapman, wrote a book called Love is a Way of Life, and he says in that book that words can be either bullets or seeds. Isn't that powerful? Your words can be bullets or seeds, and you get to choose which one you send. You can send a bullet and cause death, or you can offer seeds that will offer life 
That's the power of the tongue. Remember the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Remember that one? What a crock. (laughs) Am I right? And I think the intent was good. I think parents wanted to say, hey, kids, don't let words hurt you. Come on, kids, just let the words roll off your back like a duck, right? That's the intent. We don't want our our words to hurt our kids, but they do, and they hurt us. Why? Because the power of life and death is in the tongue. Can I encourage you to speak life? Speak life. Proverbs 10, 11 says this. It says, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. It's pretty strong. Proverbs 16, 27, a worthless man plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Or Proverbs 18, 7 and 8 says, a fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. Isn't that interesting? The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels morsels they go down into the inner parts of the body what are what are delicious morsels i'll show you you ever been in an argument and right after the argument an hour later you come up with the best comeback known to man and you go oh why didn't i have that just an hour ago i would have just well maybe that's the reason you didn't have it right that's probably a good thing that you didn't have the thing but, but that's, you know what I'm talking about. It's just this, oh, that would have been perfect. Oh, that would have been so good. No, it would have been so bad. But it tastes delicious in sinfulness. But I want you to notice the last phrase of that verse. It says, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. You see, our words go down into the core of who we are, whether they're good or bad. Whether they're good or evil, whether they're bullets or seeds, life or death, they go down into the core of who we are. Speak life. One of the things that I love to do, I love to encourage children for this reason. It could be a child that's dressed up for Sunday. It could be a a kid that's done a spelling bee. I don't care, made a shot. I like to just grab them and look them in the eye. You are awesome, man. Way to go. You look so amazing today. You're going to be the president of the United States. I love to speak things into children because the whole world seems to be against them. The least we can do is speak life into them. Can I just encourage you to speak life? And not only to kids, but to everyone. Husbands and wives. Yeah, I'm about to go here. You know right where to point that 357, don't you? You know the, the deepest places that hurt. You know those wounded spots to aim those bullets. Sometimes the most devastating, hurtful things said to us come from the people who love us the most. Speak life, not death. James ramps up his 
rhetoric about the tongue here and gives us more dangers of the tongue in James 3, 6. It says, and the tongue is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. That's a lot. That's a big statement, isn't it? Our tongue is a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, standing the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Well, James is not holding back here about the tongue. What he's saying is, of all the members of our body, this one's going to get us in the most trouble. Of all of them, this is going to be the one that ruins us. It can stain the whole body. It can ruin the rest of your life, he says. And it's set on fire, literally by the fires of hell. What's crazy is, this is just a little tiny piece of flesh. It has no will of its own. It doesn't speak of its own will. It only does what my brain says for it to say. Our brains give signals to our tongues and they speak what we want them to speak. So the question is, where does it come from? It comes from our hearts. It comes from our hearts. It's what Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 11. He called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. And then drop down to verse 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. Whatever you speak, it's coming from the heart. It, it starts in the heart, and the heart is not a great place. Look what he says about the heart. He says, the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if we don't allow our hearts to filter what we're going to say, we're going to begin to speak sinfulness. And our words will be bullets. They'll be toxic. This is why James said in chapter 1, be quick to hear and slow, slow to speak. He's saying, let your heart filter what's going on so that your mouth will only speak things that will honor God. Let your heart filter. Don't make the mistake of, of getting in a hurry and, and reacting out of our emotions. Be slow to speak, but often we slip, don't we? We don't think, we don't pray, we're not thoughtful, we don't care. And so we speak whatever we want to speak. And the sad reality, friends, is that sometimes we speak intentionally to wound. Oh, it's sad. It's sad that we would speak intentionally to wound. And listen to this. It says, it says up here in, in, in our text. The tongue is set among our members, standing the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Do you know what that means? That means if your heart has not filtered the sinfulness of your internal life, and you begin to speak something that would wound someone else, the very enemy himself will employ your tongue to wound someone for his agenda. You say, why are you so, so passionate about that? Because in my mind, I can't make sense of the fact that out of my insens insensitivity or lack of compassion or arrogance or whatever the many things of sinfulness in me, that I would let something come to my tongue and I would speak it to my beautiful wife for 
the strategy of the devil. That's what it's saying. He will employ my tongue to wound my children, to wound my family, to wound my friends. And that is terrible, isn't it? The very enemy will set on fire my tongue and use it for his own agenda. And that's a horrible thing. I, I like the way the message helps us get a sense of what we're talking about. In the message in James 3, 5 says, It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. Listen to this. By our speech, we can ruin the world. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony into chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. That's what we do when we forget to filter our words and not let the Holy Spirit help us to speak in a way that honors him and people. James kind of jokingly compares this tongue to a wild animal. He says, uh, he says here, for every kind of beast and bird or reptile or sea creature can be tamed, has been tamed by mankind. We've tamed them all. But no human being can tame the tongue. It cannot be trusted. I was watching a documentary the other day about this guy in Russia. I shouldn't laugh because it didn't turn out so well. But it wasn't a very smart thing that he did. He, um, he had a pet grizzly bear. Don't get a pet grizzly bear. That's just not smart, right? I mean, it looks like maybe they'd be fun in all the movies, the cartoon movies. It'd be kind of neat to have Baloo the bear sitting on the couch with you. But it's not Baloo the bear. It's <clears throat> bear, you know. They, it worked out for a little while. And then he ended up eating the family. So it's not a good thing to have a pet bear, right? You have these, these people who have pet lions and pet tigers, and they think it's going to work out for them. But I promise you, every one of them at some point is kind of looking at the tiger going, is Kitty thinking about eating me? Right. Is the bear thinking about chewing on my leg right now? I can't, I can't determine. That's how we need to look at our tongue, suspiciously. We need to know that our tongues, they can't be trusted. Something bad could happen at any moment. In fact, James says in 3.8, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It's a restless evil, and it's full of deadly poison. You know, I hate snakes. Man, I hate snakes. I'm not a fan of snakes. If a snake um, unwisely makes its way into my yard, it usually doesn't make its way out. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm not a fan of snakes. Um, but it just blows my mind that even the baby snakes carry the same amount of venom as mama or daddy's snake. Even those little tiny baby snakes. And it's so interesting that they can carry within them all this toxic poison and it not kill them. But when they bite something, it'll kill that thing. We are the same way. You may not realize that you carry a poison in your heart from your past or from a wound or from whatever the case may be. You may not realize you're carrying this, this poison in you. But it's only when you bite at other people that they die. It's poison, James says. It's deadly. It only causes death. Suicide is the third leading cause of death in young people today. It's the third leading cause of death in young people. 4,400 people per year are dying of suicide. Young people under the age of 18. Half of those are dying as a result of bullying. 
half a year. Every day from school, 160,000 kids stay home to avoid a bully. Isn't that awful? In our country, 160,000 children choose to stay home to avoid a bully. And bullying always starts with words. It always starts to wound. And if you've ever been bullied, if you've ever been hurt in that way, you know exactly what I'm talking about because words matter. In fact, would you go back in your memory just for a minute? Right now. Some of you are already there. (laughs) Go back in your memories. Do you remember something somebody said to you? I mean, it devastated you. Do you remember that thing? Do you remember that comment? Some of you, it even altered the direction of your life. Some of you went in a direction of a profession because of what someone said either negatively or positively to you. Maybe somebody was encouraging and said, man, you can do anything. I think you're going to be the greatest surgeon in the whole world. And now you're a great surgeon, whatever the case may be. But more likely than not, people say negative things that alter who you become. Do you identify with that? Here's the sad thing. Even those who say something, it stays with us too. It doesn't only stay with the person who receives it, it stays with the person who says it. Like me in my office this week, weeping over the phrases that I've said that I didn't need to say. It stayed with me because words go down deep into the core of who we are, whether we say them or receive them. Words matter. I believe our words come from different places. They come from our belief systems, good or bad. You know, somebody might say, hey, you know what? God can do anything he wants through you. God can do anything at all he wants through you. And you're built up in this belief system of Christ that, yeah, I can do all things through Christ. And, yeah, that's a good thing. And the power of speech has encouraged you. Or maybe it's somebody who's used a wrong belief system, a false belief system, to negatively affect you. And they said something like, God could never use you. Or maybe you've said it to yourself, God could never use me. He could never use someone like me. Are you kidding? I believe our words come from places like sinfulness. Things like pride and hate and jealousy and insecurity. Are you the kind of person that's always qualifying in conversations so that you can kind of make yourself come out a little higher than everyone else because of insecurity? You just use statements and you find yourself kind of always having to Qualify, yeah, I've been there, I've done, yeah, I did that one time. I... Find yourself speaking jealousy to your friends. Man, it must be nice that you, you guys get to go on all those vacations. That's really nice. Hmm. Sounds like a compliment, but it's really jealousy, isn't it? It can be. Our words come from our backgrounds, like family uh, dynamics, the culture of our family, experiences we've walked through, survival mechanisms, Right? You'll never amount to anything. Does that resonate with anybody? Could that damage the soul of a child? I, I remember we had Russ Taff here, you know, a few months ago, and remember the, I couldn't remember the phrase that he kept saying, but his father used a phrase like that. And here he is, 60 years old, and he's telling us about that phrase. It affected his life. 
Because words go down deep into the soul and core of a man. If it's going to get done right, I guess I have to do it myself. I'm not going to trust anybody. I'm not going to give anybody else a chance. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Ladies, how about this one? Never trust a man. Never trust a man. Because they'll only let you down. Is that a true statement? It might be true of your experience, but it's not true of every man. What about this one? You just wait. You wait until your husband leaves you. Spoken to your daughters. Spoken to your sons. Friends, words matter. We have to be so careful that we don't speak hate and toxic phrases out of our own wounds. Out of our own brokenness. It won't maybe make, it may make you feel just a tiny little bit better. But it could ruin the life of somebody else. And many of you are sitting in the discomfort of those phrases ringing around your brain right now. And then the last part of our message this morning. Duality of speech comes from duality of heart. James 3, 8. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James is saying we bless our Lord and Father, and yet we curse the very people he's made. I was trying to think of an example of this. It's kind of like if I were to bring my beautiful little girl up here, eight-year-old Jovi, and I were to stand here next to me, and you were to come up and say, hey, man, great message, and then look down at her and go, you're stupid. You might get punched in the face. Just a warning. I'm just a human being. You wouldn't do that, would you? It wouldn't make sense for you to say that to my face and then yet harm my daughter or speak ill to her. In the same way, just in the same way, it just like my anger just wells up. The thought of it wells up inside of me. Can you imagine what God thinks when we say we bless God and yet we turn to one of the children, one of the people that He's created in His image, and we treat them in a way that dishonors Him? Should not be from our mouths and ultimately from our hearts. We need to come blessing, not curses. It doesn't make sense for sinlessness to come from. A life that's been redeemed. Sinfulness. So let me, let me ask you this question. What defines your life? Because if you were to hand me a fruit, or if, I, if I, we lived in California, we don't have a whole lot of fruit trees in Arkansas, unfortunately. But if we lived in California, and there was a tree in the yard, and it's just all green, and then one day it starts blossoming and budding, and, oh, we're going to get something. I don't, well, I don't know what it is. Well, when that lemon forms, and I get to pull the lemon, I go, hey, you know what? That was a lemon tree, right? That fruit defined the tree. Starts growing over here. Oh, look, this is going to be an orange tree. That fruit has defined the tree. That's how we know what kind of tree it is, by the fruit it produces. What your lips and life produce speaks to who you are. The fruit of your life defines who you are. And so this is what I want you to hear this morning. Listen, if ungodliness... If hatefulness, if prejudice, if filthiness comes from your mouth, the question is, is Jesus in your heart? Because it's not okay for those things to come from your mouth. 
if you call yourself a Christ follower. James again is holding this up saying, take a look. If you're doing this, it's not okay. This is sinfulness. This is wrong. It shouldn't be. Jesus said this to the Pharisees in Matthew 12. He says, uh, verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. Our friends' words matter. They matter. So who does your speech say that you are? Can you take an account real quick? There may be a phrase lingering in your mind from this morning, getting ready for church. Something you said to your kids or something you said to your spouse this week. Who does your speech say that you are? And what does your speech say is in your heart? Because that's where it comes from. I just want to challenge you this morning to realize the power in the tongue. To realize the gift that you can give in blessing and the death that you can bring in a curse. You know what's so crazy is I think we all probably identify with the fact that we've been wounded by words. We probably all identify with those phrases that have been said that devastated us and yet we don't make the connection when we turn around and speak them to someone else. You ever heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people? You ever heard that? It's true. So let's stop that cycle. Let's stop that cycle. It won't, it's not, it won't bring us enough satisfaction to hurt someone. It won't heal the wounds. It won't make that memory go away. But God can give you forgiveness. He can help you give forgiveness to that person that spoke something to you. He can give you forgiveness for yourself for speaking it against someone. That's what he can do. But speaking death, speaking poison, speaking destruction over someone else won't bring you joy. It'll only start a fire. It'll only bring death. It'll only be a bullet to someone's soul. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment? Husbands and wives, marriage is not easy, I know that. But some of you need to have a conversation today. Husbands and wives, some of you need to have a conversation today and you need to apologize to one another for how you've spoken to one another. Some of you need to repent before a holy God because of how you've spoken to someone else or how you've even spoken to your own soul. Some of you need to say, God, would you forgive me? Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. We just acknowledge that there is such incredible power 
in the tongue. Your word says that it makes great boasts. It can do great things. It can bring life and it can bring death. And God, I pray that as we focus on this from your word in the book of James this morning, that this would be a warning to an authentic faith. If we're going to be an authentic believer in Jesus, we can't speak this way. We can't live this way. We can't wound people this way. We need to just stop. We need to be quick to hear, quick to hear the Spirit of God saying, no, don't wound, don't hurt, don't cut. Just shut our mouths, Lord, and help us to forgive. Help us to lean into your spirit. Help us to love. Lord, make us authentic believers, not just believers who say one thing and do another, but God, people who truly live by your word, knowing you, loving you, holding up our lives to these tests and saying, yes, Lord, I'm imperfect, but I'm seeking to know you in these ways. Lord, if there's relationships that need to be um, dealt with today, I'm just reminded of the fact that Jesus said, before the sun goes down, don't, don't let the sun go down on your anger, on your wrath. There's an immediacy to forgiveness and working something out. So Lord, if there's somebody in this room right now or watching on our broadcast right now, if there's somebody that needs to go to a relationship and ask for forgiveness, would you help them to do that today? To make that right today. And Lord, would you begin to cause healing to come over our hearts so that we can find our identity in you. Not a lack of identity in something we would say to someone else, Lord, but that we would be complete, satisfied, full of Jesus, that we don't have to respond in a way that cuts. We can love and we can learn and we can change by your grace and for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.